Well, let us uh, continue in worship this morning as we open God's word to the book of Acts, chapter 1. It is my desire um, that whether you are a believer or a non-believer, whether you are a first-time guest or a regular member or a tender, my hope is that by this point in the service, you understand exactly what we are about. We are about one thing only, the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel and his word. We have nothing else to give you, nothing else to say, but God's word. And this is where our confidence is. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Please hear the reading of God's word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now, let us pray. Our father, we thank you for this privilege. We have to open your word, help us to find in it, our encouragement and our hope. And father, as always, we pray and we ask in the name of Christ, that you will save sinners by drawing them to your son, that you will continue, Father, to sanctify the saints, also by drawing us further to Christ, and above all things, that you will exalt the name of Jesus above all names. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How would you want to be remembered? If there was only one word to be placed next to your name on your tombstone, what would that word be? Hopefully something nice. Hopefully something good. Faithful Jesse. Uh, loving Preston. I'm just my eyes, wherever I'm, whoever I'm seeing, I'm, I'm going to call you out. Um, pretty Micah. <laughs> I'm sure most of us would pick a positive word, such as faithful, strong, loving, kind. One of the disciples uh, didn't get to choose. I'm talking about Thomas. <laughs> How unfortunate to go down human history as doubting Thomas. You would think that after 2,000 years, we would have forgotten about it. But no. Every time we think of Thomas, we think of doubt. There was another man also dealing with doubt, although he's uh, less known. And it is the man to whom Luke wrote the book of Acts. His name is Theophilus. Now, not, not much is known about Theophilus. The few things we do know, however, are important for our study. First, his name is made up of two Greek words, Theo, meaning God, and Phyllis, meaning love. Therefore, his name means lover of God or beloved of God. He was likely a Gentile Christian. He did not belong to the Jewish nation, but was nonetheless converted to Christianity. 
All of this leads us to the second fact we know about Theophilus, and it is this. He was struggling with uncertainty and doubt. How do I know this to be the case? Well, turn in your Bibles to the first book that Luke wrote to Theophilus, meaning the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let us read together how Luke introduces his first book to Theophilus and pay a special attention to the purpose for which he wrote his account. Luke chapter one, verses one through four. The same author of the same uh, of the book of acts is here writing the gospel of Luke Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an er a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them from to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have what? That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Did you hear those words in verse 4? Luke said explicitly that he wrote an orderly account in his first book, in the Gospel of Luke, so that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. We don't know much about Theophilus, but we do know that for whatever reason, his certainty concerning the things he had been taught regarding the gospel was weakening. He needed to be reassured. It is likely his uncertainty was being induced by fierce opposition to the gospel message and Theophilus was entering the path of doubt. But how is this relevant to our study of the book of Acts? Well, it is relevant because we have no reason to believe that Luke's purpose in writing his second book, meaning Acts, is any different since Acts begins where the gospel of Luke ends. Have you noticed that? Luke's gospel ends with a reference to the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke begins his second book of Acts with the same reference as we saw in our passage and as we will see next week. Therefore, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are meant to be taken as a unit. In light of this, we can conclude that Acts was also written for the purpose of strengthening Theophilus' faith and certainty concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I consider the struggle with uncertainty, I feel like I'm walking into familiar territory. Is it, is it uh, problematic for a pastor to say that at times he struggles with uncertainty? I understand the struggle with uncertainty. I looked up the meaning of the Greek word for certainty, and this is what I found. The lexicon said firmness, stability, security. Thus, we know that Theophilus was becoming unstable and insecure. Has that ever been you? The foundations of his faith were being shaken. Theophilus was in need of an anchor. And so Luke writes the gospel of Luke and then continues with the book of Acts to bring stability, security, and firmness, firmness to Theophilus' life and faith. Much like Theophilus, 
we too need to be infused with certainty. Certainty has fallen on hard times, I would say, especially among believers. But this should not come as a surprise to us because certainty comes from knowing biblical truth. And in that regard, we have three ever-present enemies, don't we? First, Satan. Satan hates the truth. Therefore, certainty will be at the very center of Satan's attacks. While the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, Satan wants to lead us into greater and greater doubt. He hates certainty of any kind. That's our first enemy. Satan thinks he plots and he schemes against the truth as we saw in Ephesians chapter 6. The second enemy is the world because the world is fallen. Consequently, in the world, we will encounter plenty of discouragement that will lead us to uncertainty, to question our faith, and even to give into the course of this world. And third, we must fight the flesh. We must fight the flesh, or as Paul said it, we must put off the old self. Thus, we can see that we have enemies within and we have enemies without. All of them are seeking to diminish our faith and our certainty in this word. So for instance, when you see the rise of blatant immorality or the ongoing evil perpetrated by terrorism or the increasing corruption and dishonesty of political leaders or the ongoing divisions among people and Christians due to this or that, or even divisions among your family with friends. All of these things can diminish certainty in our lives and they can lead us into places of constant doubt. Luke understood the situation that Theophilus was in. And so he offered him and us a massive infusion of certainty. But I want you to notice something. Luke did not begin by saying this. Listen, Theophilus, things are going to change for the better. He didn't say that. I promise you that, Theophilus. Things are going to change for the better. Just hang in there and hopefully your circumstances will turn around. He didn't say that. You cannot find stability in your life if you are constantly looking at that which is unstable, namely temporal circumstances. You can't. Rather, Luke gives Theophilus the key to certainty. Two words. Remember truth. Remember truth. But not just any truth. Remember the truth of Jesus Christ, which is what Luke's first book is all about. The, the gospel of Luke. Thus, we receive our first important lesson from Luke. And it is this. You cannot disassociate certainty and stability in life from the person of Jesus. You can't. Or we can say it in reverse. The moment you begin to take your eyes off of the Lord Jesus will be the moment you begin to shake. You always have to remember the first book, meaning the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, however, doesn't just say, remember Jesus. Rather, 
as I'm about to show you, he calls Theophilus to remember three specific truths about Jesus. First, the deeds and words of Jesus. Second, the definitive victory of Jesus. And third, the empowering gift of Jesus. So we will consider each one of them in turn. Number one, we fight uncertainty by remembering the deeds and words of Jesus. Verse one, in the first book, what is the first book? The gospel of Luke. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach in his effort to fill Theophilus with certainty. Luke begins his second book, meaning the book of Acts, by calling him to remember the work of Jesus while he was on earth during his incarnation, specifically his words and deeds, everything Jesus began to do and teach. So the first step to certainty in the face of doubt is to call to mind the things we know. It's to call to mind the things we know. In light of this, it is appropriate for us to take a brief tour of some of the things that Jesus did and taught as recorded for us in the gospel of Luke. In doing so, I wish to show you how the deeds and words of Jesus were a true foundation of unmovable hope to Theophilus and therefore to us as well. First, let us see what Jesus did according to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter four, verses 31 through 37, Jesus delivered people from demonic possession all of which strengthens our certainty that Jesus has authority over all principalities, over all rulers, over all dominions, and that Satan is under his feet. In the same chapter four and chapter five, we see Jesus healing many diseases such as leprosy, paralysis, all of which strengthens our certainty that Jesus has sovereign power over our bodies, viruses, and yes, even death. No virus, no illness, and no disease can ultimately prevail over the sovereign will of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that. In Luke chapter five, we see Jesus calling men into his service. Simon Peter. James, John, and later on, Levi, the tax collector. La creme de la creme, right? Not really. But all of this strengthens our certainty. Listen to this, that Jesus does not depend on human abilities to accomplish his purposes. And that even the lowest of the low, like a tax collector, can be rescued, can be forgiven, and can be used by Jesus Christ. So yes, Jesus can rescue, Jesus can forgive, and Jesus, Jesus can use you no matter who you are or, or what you have done. Of this, you can be certain. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. Not only did he pray, but the Bible says he prayed alone, alone and all night. All night. All of which strengthens our certainty that apart from the strength of God, we can do nothing. Therefore, if you are seeking to live your life in the strength of the, the flesh, you will fall. But if through prayer, you, you seek the strength of the Lord to defeat sin in your life, you will stand of this. 
we are certain. And if you are certain of this, the power of prayer, does your private life of prayer reflected? Are you a person of prayer? In Luke chapter 9, we find Jesus feeding 5,000 people, which strengthens our certainty that Jesus is a merciful Savior indeed, one who understands our needs and willingly meets them. And then, of course, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus willingly goes to the cross to be crucified and to die, which strengthens our certainty that the work of redemption was accomplished. Theophilus, Luke says, your salvation is secured in Jesus. You don't have to look anywhere else. Jesus died under the judgment of his father, and he did so on your behalf, Theophilus. Of this, you can be certain. Now, there are myriad other examples I can show you, but these will suffice for now. Let us now consider what Jesus taught. Let us consider what Jesus taught and how these words are a source of certainty in the face of doubt. Let's begin at the beginning. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, we find the Lord Jesus telling his parents these words. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's or in my father's house? Thus, Jesus taught us that he is the son of God. The one that came from heaven, the eternal word made flesh. Therefore, we can have certainty regarding his divine identity. To each of Satan's temptations in the desert, Jesus responded with these words. You know them well. It is what? Written. It is written in Luke chapter 4. Thus, Jesus taught us about the finality, the authority, and the sufficiency of God's word to help us even under the most intense trials and temptations. Therefore, we can have certainty that if we remain in God's word, the foundation of our faith cannot be shaken. To the people listening to Jesus in the synagogue as he read the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus said these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Luke chapter 4. Thus, Jesus taught us that he is indeed the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Therefore, we can have certainty that God is faithful and that Jesus cannot fail in his mission to rescue sinners. To his disciples, Jesus spoke these words. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Thus, through his example upon the cross, he taught us that he is the very embodiment of love. Therefore, we can have certainty that all believers are loved by Jesus with a redeeming love that will never pass away. To the crowds, Jesus spoke these words. Everyone who hears my words and does them is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Thus, he taught us that no life is stronger than the life that is built upon his word. 
Therefore, we can have certainty that when we seek to live our lives, our families, and our decisions based on God's word, no amount of turmoil, no amount of persecution, no amount of confusion can destroy us. This is like the Psalm 119 verse 145, where we read, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble to the sinful woman, to the sinful woman. Jesus spoke these marvelous words of grace. Your sins are forgiven. Thus he taught us that he has the authority, the willingness and the power to forgive our sins. Therefore, all those who are in Christ, who have believed in his name, can have the certainty that our sins have been dealt with, forgiven, and nailed to the cross. And now nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. At a private meeting with his disciples, Jesus spoke these words. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Thus, Jesus taught us that his work on earth was not random, but an absolute necessity of sovereign power. The son of man must suffer. Not he may suffer. Maybe we we're not sure. No, the son of man must suffer. Why? Because this was God's eternal and sovereign, unmovable plan. Therefore, you and I believers, we can have certainty that evil, evil, even the greatest evil ever perpetrated in the history of the world, namely the killing of God's holy son on the cross is under God's perfect control. And all that, all things do indeed work together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purposes. What Jesus began to do and teach was a source of certainty for Theophilus because in the words and deeds of Jesus, we find the unchanging nature of truth. In the words of Jesus, we see his unceasing love for truth, his unwavering commitment to the truth, and his absolute zeal for the truth. And in the deeds of Jesus, we see that truth and love are never mutually exclusive, but always dwell in perfect harmony. Brothers and sisters, this is how we ought to live. As John says in his first letter, we ought to walk as Jesus walked. What does that mean? It means that we must learn to live in the truth and by the truth, even when it comes at a high price, for there is no lasting peace outside of truth. Theophilus says, Luke, in both peace and war, riches and poverty, joys and sorrows, submit yourself to the truth by looking to Christ. This is how we remain firm. This is what it means to be stable and certain in life. Number two, we fight uncertainty by remembering the definitive victory of Jesus, the definitive victory of Jesus. Consider with me verses two and three. Luke says until the day when he was taken up after he had given commandments, commands through the Holy spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. As Luke continues 
to recount his first book, which was written so that Theophilus may have certainty. He now moves to remind Theophilus of Christ's definitive victory over our greatest enemy, namely death. Luke does this by focusing on two key events, the resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus. Now, as we move throughout or through the book of Luke, through, I'm sorry, through the book of Acts, he will continue to unfold these events and we will have plenty of opportunities to consider both the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus in great detail. For now, I just want to focus on two expressions, both of which are found in verse three. First, verse three says that Jesus presented himself alive to them, to the disciples after his sufferings by many proofs, by many proofs. Let us meditate on that for a short while. I researched the word for proof in the Greek is tekmerion. The word means that which causes something to be known in a convincing and decisive manner. From that, let me make the following point. The rest of the book of Acts is a vivid demonstration that the disciples were decisively convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, the explanation as to why the disciples boldly faced trials, persecutions, beatings, stoning, and even death was that Jesus presented himself alive to them and they were decisively convinced. If you have ever struggled with the question of the resurrection and have dealt with many doubts, you rest assured that the disciples received many proofs. Consequently, they turn the world upside down. And the book of Acts is the proof that Jesus rose from the dead. The second expression that I want us to consider this morning is also in verse three at the end of verse three. It says that he appeared to them for 40 days speaking about what? The kingdom of God. We, in our Spanish Sunday school this morning, we were talking about how easy it is to define the kingdom of God, right? No, it's not an easy thing to define. There are many definitions out there of what the kingdom of God is, but the kingdom of God is a massively important theme. And the Bible says that after Jesus rose from the dead, he, he spent 40 days appearing to the disciples and he spoke about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God at a very basic level the kingdom of God is the rule of God over his people. And this kingdom is both present and future. In other words, when Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated God's kingdom. Someday the kingdom will be consummated when Jesus returns. So we live in the already. Not yet which is kind of an interesting expression. huh? We are already in the kingdom, but not yet. The kingdom is already here, but not fully consummated. We are in it, but one day it will be completed. In that sense, it is very accurate to say that Jesus has already delivered us from the domain of sin and darkness in the present but at the same time, he will deliver us from the domain of sin and darkness in the future. 
We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. Is that clear enough? We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We are living in the already not yet. The kingdom of God is here, but not fully yet. But at the center of it all is the Lord Jesus Christ. So please allow me to show you something glorious, something glorious. Well, at least I think it's glorious. Hopefully you will agree. Something glorious. Consider how Luke begins his gospel. The first book in chapter one, verse 33, Luke chapter one, verse 33. We find the account of angel Gabriel. He comes to Mary and he gives him the good news of Jesus. The, the birth of Jesus is foretold. This is what Gabriel said to Mary in Luke chapter one, verse 33. This is the first book of Jesus. The angel Gabriel said this of his kingdom of his kingdom. There will be what? No end of his, what of his kingdom, the kingdom of whom the kingdom of that baby in the womb, this Jesus of his kingdom, that, that little baby, Jesus of his kingdom, there will be no end soon after baby, the baby Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Now consider how Luke ends his second book, the book of acts, go to the very last chapter of acts and read with me the very last two verses of acts. I wish John was positioned somewhere else because Luke and Acts go together, right? But Acts chapter 28 and read with me the last two verses, 30 and 31. Now remember what Gabriel said to Mary of the kingdom of this baby, the kingdom of Jesus, there will be no end. How does the book of Acts ends? Verse 30, he meaning Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming what the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. At the end of the book of acts, we find Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus. Why is this glorious? It is glorious because what started in humble Bethlehem has now reached Rome, the center of power. Thus, we see that the words spoken by Gabriel to Mary were coming true. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And how is this possible? Because Jesus died, but then he rose Again, now the kingdom of God goes forth with an indestructible power. That is the power of eternal life. Therefore, all Theophilus take heart, says Luke. Nothing can stop the kingdom of the risen Christ. And today God's kingdom is all over the world, is it not? It went from Bethlehem to all over the world. And so we remember the words of Gabriel to Mary of his kingdom. There will be no end. And we're seeing this happening all over the world as the church is built and people continue to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ day after day after day, as the word is proclaimed. And the fact that you are a believer 
If you are a believer this morning, the fact that you are a believer only proves that Jesus rose from the dead. You know why? Well, this leads us to our third point. How is this happening? We fight uncertainty in our lives by remembering, number three, the empowering gift of Jesus. Consider with me Acts chapter four. I'm sorry, chapter one, verses four through five. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now, please consider this true with me, which is central to our study of the book of acts. Luke describes his first book, his first book, the book of Luke, the gospel as an account of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Is that correct? All that Jesus began to do and teach. The key word there is began, which is a reference to the gospel of Luke is in the past tense. That being the case, how then should we describe Luke's second book, the book of Acts? Well, if the first book was an account of all that Jesus began to do, then the second book is an account of all that Jesus continues to do. But wait a minute. We just talked about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and then ascended into heaven. How can the book of Acts be an account of what Jesus continues to do when he is no longer physically on earth? The answer is in verses four and five, which Luke will continue to expand throughout the book as well. What Jesus began to do in his incarnation as recorded in the gospel of Luke, he continues to do in the Holy Spirit as recorded in the book of Acts. We know this. Because the promise of the father was the giving of the spirit. Now the theme of the giving of the spirit will be developed thoroughly by Peter in Acts chapter two, at which point I hope to address it more comprehensively. For now, let me draw your attention to the practical interplay we see between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, the interplay between the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Here's an incredibly important lesson for us to remember as we consider those two books together, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, here's the lesson. As we remember the Lord Jesus, we move forward in the power of the Holy spirit. As we remember the Lord Jesus, we move forward in the power of the Holy spirit. And that is the Christian life. Is it not? We are always remembering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God. And we're always moving forward in the power of the spirit of God. This is the truth upon which both the gospel of Luke and the gospel and the book of acts hinge. Theophilus says, Luke, as you walk by faith and as you face uncertainty in this world, don't forget the first book. Don't forget the gospel. But as you seek to live faithfully in the world, rely on the spirit, rely on the spirit. Now, let me, finish or begin to finish by pointing out a few enemies of certainty, a few enemies of certainty. Here's the first one, spiritual apathy, spiritual apathy. What does apathy mean? It means lack of interest, indifference. See, at the end of the day, the Christian life is about going back to the basics. It really is about going back to the basics. Notice how Luke gave Theophilus a written account to be read, studied and meditated upon. 
That's pretty simple, isn't it? We can conclude that the simple is essential. Consider how for Theophilus, the account written by Luke was his lifeline. This is then how we fight apathy. How do we fight apathy? Spiritual apathy. Well, there's really no secret. We continue building upon the basics of the Christian life. So do not neglect the book. Do not neglect the book. You must be in God's word to remember Christ's work. Make time to read and meditate even in times when you don't feel like it. And equally as important, don't ever isolate yourself from the body of Christ. See, we're going back to the basics. Don't isolate yourself from the body of Christ. It is within the body that we find the encouragement to persevere. Your certainty will grow stronger as you behold the work of Christ in the life of others. Letter B, another enemy of certainty. You may not think about this one, but this one is so important. Unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Why? Nothing creates more uncertainty in us than when the truths of the gospel are denied in our lives through ongoing unconfessed sin. Make no mistake about it. Therefore, we must confess our sins to God and walk in repentance. I believe it is true. Many of those who walk away from the faith do so. Not all of them. But many of them do so because slowly but surely when they allow certain sins to begin to rule and then before they know it, the biblical worldview becomes incompatible with their fleshly desires and they walk away. Pay attention to sin. Number three or number C, self-confidence, self-confidence. We flirt with uncertainty when we begin to draw strength from ourselves rather than depending on the spirit, which uh, this is, I'm getting this out of Acts chapter one, verse four. What did Jesus tell the disciples before he ascended to heaven? He said, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father. Why did he say that? Well, because without the spirit, they can't do anything. So the Christian life Im involves remembering our insufficiency and our weakness apart from the spirit. Therefore, this is a call to pray. A call to pray. Prayer is us telling God that we can't go on without his power. Prayer is the acknowledgement of weakness but also of confidence in God. So we must be a people of prayer and letter D another enemy of certainty. And this is, this is really, really a, a critical one is excessive in, intros, introspection, introspection, excessive introspection. We look within too much. Notice that Luke based his entire encouragement to Theophilus on what? on an objective account, a historical account about the person, 
work, victory, and gift of Jesus as unfolded in human history. Don't make the mistake of looking inwardly to the degree that you begin to forget what has been accomplished on our behalf, thus replacing the objective with the subjective. Yes, there is a place for self-examination in light of truth, but our ultimate source of certainty comes from the finished work of Christ on our behalf, which happens in actual human history. Therefore, we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me leave you with a final word of encouragement. A final word of encouragement. Basically, Luke begins his book by calling to mind his first book. Remember Jesus. Remember the, the, the record of Jesus. Remember the historical account of Jesus. Remember the words of Jesus, the deeds of Jesus. Remember Christ. Remember Christ, Theophilus. As you deal with uncertainty, remember the Lord Jesus. Set your mind on him. Do you know why in the eternal estate, in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be any uncertainty. There won't be any anxiety. There won't be any doubt and there won't be any hopelessness whatsoever. All these vices will be gone forever because we will have a clear view of Christ. We will see him for who he is. On that day, and on that day only, you will actually lay eyes on Jesus. And with your physical eyes, you will behold the glory of the God-man. On that day, you won't need to remember Christ, for you will see Christ in all his glory. But until then, we walk by faith, not by sight. As we will learn next Sunday, we live in the age of the ascension of Jesus. Jesus is no longer physically present on earth. He is nowhere for our eyes to see. The two men dressed in white robes will remind us of this very truth next Sunday. But the Holy Spirit, who is the very presence of Christ, he is with us. He is with us until the very end. The Spirit is calling us today to turn our spiritual eyes on Christ by remembering his glorious accomplishments on our behalf. So when you face uncertainty, like Theophilus was facing uncertainty, the question is, what do you do? What do you do when your circumstances change? What, what do you do when you receive the irreversible um, report from the doctor? What do you do when you receive the bad news? What do you do when there is chaos around you and there's nothing you can do to change it? You continue to go back to what you know. You continue to meditate and consider and think the things that you know, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, his deeds, his words, his definitive victory over death and the gift of Christ in the Holy Spirit. This is our certainty. This is our certainty. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of certainty that comes from your word. Because we know that the world is constantly changing. And we encounter challenge after challenge, discouragement after discouragement. And nothing seems to be permanent. Things change all the time. 
and things that we at some point in our lives consider to be permanent, even those things change. But as we have been reminded today, there's one thing that will never change. And that is the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. His words are true forever. His deeds are a demonstration that truth doesn't change. His glorious resurrection and ascension are a proof of the glory of the truth. And thank you for the gift of the spirit that leads us into all the truth. So father, help us to find our certainty in that which cannot and will not change the gospel of Christ. And I pray Lord that you will draw many to consider the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and that your Holy spirit will save, will sanctify and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ above all things. And this we pray in his name. Amen.